warm welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Felina Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise dedicated to supporting leaders with young babies and children. I passionately believe that it is not okay that in the UK today, if you have a child and want to care for it, it significantly impacts on your chances of getting to the most senior jobs, which obviously really uh, has an impact on the gender pay gap. So with this podcast and also our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme, I want to fundamentally change this and hopefully give you inspiration and practical support so that you can continue to progress your career ambitiously whilst enjoying your young children. Today I'm interviewing someone really interesting, Laura Harrison. She is a former HR director and also a mentor on the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. Because we know each other quite well, she and I are having a very open and candid discussion about her story of combining her love for her work and her love for her children. We're also talking about what really happens behind the closed doors in HR when a flexible working request flatters through the door and how to make sure that having children doesn't stop your career progression. And I'm quizzing her about her experience of setting up her own business very recently. On a related note, applications for our Leaders with Babies Fellowship are open right now. Applications close on the 13th of February. So if you do want a senior leader mentor like Laura, a supportive network of peers and career development as a parent with a baby or young children, so that you can fulfill your career aspirations, then do head to www.leadersplus.org.uk to download the application pack. Aside from that, Laura actually generously offered a one-off mentoring session for one of our listeners today. So the next 10 people this week, um, and by this week, I mean the week when this is aired, will be able, the next 10 people this week who download the application pack and drop me an email to ferina at leadersplus.org.uk will be entered into a draw to win a free mentoring session via Skype with Laura. So to take part, just download the application pack and drop me a line. So on to today's podcast. So my guest today is Laura Harrison, who is the co-founder at the Human Change Agency. She has been the Strategy and Transformation Director at CIPD, as well as HR Director in organizations such as Aviva. And most importantly for me, she's been a real, I guess, thought explorer with me at the very beginning. I remember when I set up Leaders Plus, I walked into your office with my then what, three, four months old baby and uh, asked you, what do you think about this idea? And you're super helpful and then became a mentor for the fellows at Leaders Plus Fellowship as well. So very great to have you on the podcast, Laura. Thanks, Verena. It's great to be on the podcast. So why don't we start with you sharing your setup, what you do now and uh, your family setup? Sure. So I have... I have two children, um, Sonny, who is 16, so very much almost living his own independent life, and Rosie, who is 13, and lives the life of a typical London 13-year-old girl, I think. My husband works full-time, and for the last couple of years, I've been working for myself. So I do consultancy in the kind of space of strategy and organisation development, And I suppose that relates to my career and family life in a sense that when my children were little, I was super career focused. I had this kind of driving sense that I always needed to get higher up the ladder and further up the tree or whatever metaphor you want to use. So I pushed very hard on my career in in the early days. I was an HR director in a big insurance company in my early 30s when the kids were quite young. I was traveling a lot. And I went to work at the CIPD, which is a non-profit, a charity organization, to try and get better work-life balance when my second one was entering primary school, Rosie. And um, I guess I feel where I am now is that I have lots of different experiences. I worked in sort of big consulting firms before I worked in HR. And I've always been interested in the kind of evidence base for how organizations work and how human beings interact with each other at work and how they interact with incentives and policies and everything else and I'm kind of at a stage now where I feel like I'm able to bring all that together and have some autonomy to work for myself and it's actually quite strangely this feels like 
a really important time to just have a bit more time at home. So I'm still mad busy. I'm not very good at keeping space in my life, but I didn't predict how different it would be being a mum of teenagers versus a mum of little ones. And it is very different. And, and I am glad actually that I've got more autonomy now than I did have earlier in my career. That's so interesting. And would you, would you um, keep the same approach in, if you did it again, would you still go for that very intensive role at the beginning or would you do it differently? Oh, crikey, Verena, that is quite a question. I think we're very shaped by what our parents did, actually. And I was quite unusual in my generation um, in the sense that my mum was a doctor um, and she worked really long hours always. So, and my dad was, he ran his own business, but was more kind of around at home. And so I think, gosh, would I do it differently? I think at the time I was doing it, I hardly questioned it. I think I was so shaped by that influence and also by a sense that If not me, then who? You know, I have a very stable relationship with my husband, actually. But I've, I think I've always been quite sort of independent. And I've always had the feeling that it's down to me to provide for me. I've never felt very comfortable with the idea that I could rely on someone else, which is crazy, right? That's not what a marriage is meant to be. But I think that's very deeply ingrained in me. So, you know, have have, have the children suffered as a result of the my working full out, traveling a lot, everything else when... I was young. I, I'd like to think on a good day, I think, well, I was a good role model and my husband and I were good role models for equality. On a bad day, I think I just do not have enough memories of that time. You know, it just went by in a blur. And I try and remember what my daughter was like when she was six. And I think I'm not really sure I could tell you, you know. So it's oh, I don't know whether I do it mm. differently. But what I can say is that I feel really, really, really lucky and really privileged to be in the position I'm in now because it's all of that hard work that has given me a bit more freedom and a bit more choice, mm. um, which I value more than anything. Mm. Yeah, that's that's Sorry, interesting. That's a bit well, no, no, no. That's very <laughs> I'm not interesting. Sure there's a great answer. And actually, uh, quite a few people who listen to this podcast are playing with the thought of maybe at some point in their lives mm. also setting up their own businesses. Yeah. And uh, I guess the important thing to be mm. able to do that is clients. How did you get your first clients? How did I get my first clients? So my first client came as a referral from a contact who said, oh, Laura, you're not working because I'd planned to take some time off, you know, as you do, reestablish myself, unpack the boxes from the house that we moved into seven years ago, all of that kind of stuff. Lose 10 stone. Haha, <laughs> just joking. And... She had been speaking to an organization who were having a little bit of a problem with their culture and that was starting to affect their reputation. And she said, oh, you know, she introduced me to them and said, maybe you could do something for them. And I did that and it was a great piece of work, really enjoyed it, made some good relationships. And everything that I've done since then has been on the basis of recommendation and relationships. Mm. So I guess I think I've always prized relationships in my working life I've probably been a bit pickier than I should have been about the relationships I do invest in but I think that that has paid dividend and the other thing I guess I think I've learned from if for people who are thinking about doing similar is about your confidence the time to do it is when you're feeling confident and to a degree in control to the mu as much as we ever are because you have I think to work for yourself and to sort of stand on your own two feet in that way you've got to enjoy a sense of accountability which I really do I kind of like the idea that the buck stops with me and you've also got to be able to project a confidence because you don't want your clients to feel you want them to feel safe in your hands you know hmm. so maybe that's why I, I feel glad that I did all the things that I did because To exaggerate, to make a point, there's not a lot in organizations that can surprise me now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. It's interesting, this point about relationship. Uh -huh. And at the same time, it's completely unsurprising. But thinking of the people who are right now at, you know, they might be in a their first director type role. They mm -hmm. might have really young children. And we know, like I know from research, relationships make a massive difference to career progression make a massive difference to being able to start up but who has the time going, yeah Marina. exactly who has the time to hang out <laughs> right. at the water cooler so what's right. your what, right. what has worked for you in that right extent 
So number one, I can't bear doing networking drinks, you know, go to a thing in the evening, drinks beforehand, 45 minutes before sit down and listen to someone talk. I'm five foot one. I'm acutely conscious of that. I've actually had people rest their drinks on my head in that environment. <laughs> so that is not me. I, I really hope that's a figure of speech. <laughs> no, it's really true. I've had someone rest a drink on my head in a networking <laughs> meeting, right? So without wanting to sound like someone who's got a massive short person victim complex, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite shy. I don't feel comfortable in groups where I don't know anyone. I, I like medium talk and big talk. I'm not very good at little talk, small talk. Um, so my approach to relationships has been, I guess, probably pickier, as I said, than it should be. So I, when I first started taking on more senior jobs, I realized you can't be friends with everybody, but you do need to really get to know and trust the people who are really going to be integral to your work. So I think I've always invested in relationships with people who I know I can work well with, where there's a similar kind of sense of values and purpose and you know how modern work is you can you know there's a the meeting that's a meeting and then there's a meeting that there's coffee and chewing over the kind of ins and outs and intricacies of the organization and I guess that's how I've built most of the relationships I've built is that space between there's a great saying that I really love real work doesn't look like work right so the real work of advancing organizations and advancing your practice is in in those conversations with people that you know and trust who provoke your thinking or you provoke theirs and you come up with shared ideas. And to me, that it's worth spending your time doing that in the office rather than frantically typing emails. Mm. You know, like men never reply to emails. Why should women? Mm. That's my thought. Well, I I think there's sometimes this um, working hard trap when people come back from maternity or maybe increasingly share parental leave that... You think you've been out for a while, so you need to prove again that you're good at your oh. job. So you work 10 times as hard, right. write lots of emails, but then you don't have time. Well, one, you're stressed yeah. because you get late to nursery pickup. Yeah. And also you don't have time for the really important chewing over conversations. Right. Exactly. And, and it's relationships that hold us up and it's relationships that move us forward. It's not emails and it's not PowerPoint presentations and it's not the perfectly written paper. I mean, when I see that kind of frenzied activity, it makes me really, really sad. And in some of the work that I've been doing recently, I've encountered organizations where there is such a strong currency of writing stuff down and production at the expense of quality of thinking, quality of relationships. So they're organizations of relatively low trust. Everyone's CC'd on every email. People are picking up their emails at 10 o'clock at night, but none of it's productive. None of it results in anything if you are a woman listening to this and you're sucked into that trap just try and experiment with doing things differently pick up the phone walk over the floor talk to people or just let it lie I've, this is something that i think a lot of senior men are better at than senior women because senior women want to show that they're worth it i think a lot of senior men doesn't even occur to them that they need to show that they're worth it so you if you just observe in your team or the people, you know, above you or parallel to you or whatever in the organization, see who just lets stuff lie and sees what happens. Like see who just thinks to themselves, I'm going to ignore that because that situation might self-resolve and compare that to your behavior. You know, are you responding, reacting all the time because you feel you've got to be in there? You know, you've got to be visible on the mail trail. You've got to have a point of view. I would just try showing up differently. Try to just ignore it and see what happens. One of the things I learned from my mum, a lot of things, if you leave them, self-resolve. Mm, that's very true. Mums always give amazing advice. <laughs> really good for that. Yeah, definitely. Although maybe a few things in my life I've left to see if they'll self-resolve. And they didn't. So, you know. That's very true. Um, I want to talk to you about love and the reason is because as you, well, you are obviously a mentor on the fellowship program and I remember at our last mentor matching event I I said to you can you speak about something and speak for five minutes about anything that you want and you spoke about love and being able to do the job you love while mm -hmm. spending time with the children mm -hmm. you love mm -hmm. and, um, well without expanding the whole speech yeah. which I think was amazing we should have recorded it like what I wish what, I remember it <laughs> just kidding what was uh, what made you think of that I think that a lot of the narrative and discourse around 
women parents at work is framed in language that has been around for a long time and if it was moving us forward we wouldn't need the language anymore right so we talk about work-life balance for example I mean I remember I first started working for Price Waterhouse as it was then in 1996 and people were talking about work-life balance right so this is not a new idea and when I reflect on my career and, and my, my family life I don't think about it in terms of work-life balance. I think about it in terms of competing demands for my love, really. So I was always taught that love isn't finite. It's not a cup of sugar. It doesn't run out, right? So we all have an infinite capacity for love. That was something that was very deeply ingrained, I think, in my upbringing and something I really subscribe to. And you can love your job and you can love your team and your colleagues at times in a, in a, in a really passionate way and in times in ways that are keeping you awake at night, you know, you're concerned about them. You're concerned about what you're doing. You know, you're deeply invested. It's a different kind of love. It's less romantic, I would say, and maybe less idealized actually than, than the love that we feel for, for our, our children and our partners and friends and family and so on. But I found that it's easier to think about in a more positive sense that you have all of this love and you're trying to distribute it in a way that feels fair and has authenticity and integrity to you than to see it as a kind of a good and a bad thing that are trying to compete for your attention. Do you see what I mean? So work-life balance implies a sort of black and a white or a good and a bad. So I think about love in the context of women, particularly returning from work after maternity leave, because sometimes the way that you're treated by your organization is like being dumped by a really bad boyfriend, right? So, you know, you invested so much in the relationship and then you get back from maternity leave and you have that awful feeling of, oh, they don't see me in the same way anymore, you know, and they don't want to spend time with me in the way that they used to. And actually, they seem to be more picky about my appearance, <laughs> you know, and and... You know, we know from our romantic lives what an awful feeling that is. It's a, like a feeling of breaking down of trust and of confidence and it affects your self-confidence. And I suppose that's the other reason why I was thinking in that way. You know, I, there are, I think there are some firms and some organisations that do behave like bad boyfriends when we mm. come back from maternity leave. Mm, absolutely. But you were an HR director, so... I presume in also sometimes in your organization, people would have, well, managers might have acted as, as you call it, bad boyfriends. Uh, yeah. When someone came back from leave, maybe still wanted to progress, but suddenly managers lowered expectations yeah. or maybe managers suddenly thought a flexible working request equaled yeah. a lack of commitment. Yeah. What do you think is happening there? I think it's to do with power and norms. So in organizations, I think as a whole, I'm sure there are exceptions, everything is developed around this idea of a norm, right? And the norm is not a diverse group of people with diverse needs. It's a white, educated, heterosexual man who may or may not have children because who cares because childcare isn't his problem. And the whole of work is designed around that norm. And a lot of HR practices, and to be fair, a lot of the law, you know, so HR practitioners only have so much leeway, are developed for homogeneity. You know, there's a kind of sense that that is only starting to be unpicked now that being fair is treating everyone in exactly the same way. And being fair and treating everyone exactly the same way means you have to be a norm because otherwise, you know, your whole concept of fairness falls down. You see, you hear a lot in HR about people saying, oh, well, that's going to set a precedent. Oh, that's going to set a precedent. We're very worried about precedents. So, that, so, and that speaks to this idea that, you know, it would be just really helpful if everyone was the same, because then we could treat everyone the same, and then we wouldn't have to worry about exceptions and precedents. And I think, you know, you have to accept that the HR profession isn't different from wider organization dynamics so despite the fact that HR I think is about 70% female I'm probably not up to date on my stats 
a lot of HR directors are men and they are likely to be men who have climbed up to the top um, with maybe with children, maybe without, maybe on second marriages with children, you know, whatever, but they have wives at home. So the level of empathy, um, which ultimately is one of the most change-making emotions, isn't it? Empathy is probably not that high. So I wouldn't invest all of your hope in HR, I have to say. Mm. And I think it's not fair because in a way, HR is a function that obviously has some power, but only as much and also it's a function that is tasks, well, is reporting to the board eventually. So uh, there's only that much power. But so I didn't make, mean to blame you in any shape or no, form. No, no, but it's but, fine. I mean, you know, I don't overly associate with yeah. with the profession or, or not really. But I'm just interested. So obviously there there is a lot of work around culture change, society-wide. But when you are in an organisation that where a manager is allowed, in quotation marks, to treat you mm. in not a great way and not necessarily doing illegal things. Mm. And of course, then, you know, you go yeah. through the normal HR processes. Yeah. But... Just when a manager isn't responding enthusiastically to your flexible work mm -hmm. request, or you can see that their expectations of you lowered and they're not offering yeah. you any amazing projects yeah. anymore. Do you have any reflections on what helps in such situations? I think this is why I would go back to networks and relationships, right? Because I've often thought that if I had a tenor for every time I've had a conversation with a woman about how she can address injustice that she's experiencing, unfairness that she's experiencing, but in a way in which she's entirely protected from risk. I've had a tenor for every time I've had that conversation. Well, I'd have quite a lot of money. I can't do the maths. This is the challenge, right? Because when it's happening to you, feels like it's your problem it's very individualized and for all the HR processes and procedures or whatever that you could use or to raise them with someone outside of the management structure you know with HR or with the union or whatever you still feel as though you're taking a big personal risk you know are people going to see me as a troublemaker am I going to be seen as uncommitted so you judge yourself in in a really harsh way And I'd love to say, I don't think that the rest of the organization and its management is judging you like that, but I think that would be naive. So the best answer that I have, and I feel really sad that I don't have a better answer, is about that solidarity of networks, whether it's other women who um, hold you up and make you feel confident pushing back, or whether it's other women or networks who help you find a new job. Because there's no law that says you have to stay where you are, right? And if you were talented, smart and capable before you had a baby, you're talented, smart and more capable after you've had a baby. And there is an irony that most firms are not great at looking after their own talent, but they also moan about how they need more better talent. So you turn up in a recruitment environment, still looking smart and talented despite having a baby. So... Just having people around you who can help you up, who can hold you up and help you see your way through it because there aren't any easy answers and it's very difficult to take that risk of pushing because you feel as though it's going to backfire on you and mm. it probably will, right? I mean, this, this is why the world isn't changing because the mechanisms that we have for pushing for justice at work are only partially effective. Mm. Sorry, that's good. No, that's a depressing. It, it is. It is. But uh, shall I say something more <laughs> cheerful now? <laughs> I don't want to force you. It can be, you know, right, give me time to think of something. That's right. In the meantime, I, babies are great, so, and I love my kids. Right? I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, in terms of choosing your employer and being brave enough to change employer, mm. I think that's quite important. Not only in terms of your own happiness, but also, I care about career progression of yeah. people who have had children because. The stats are so strong that when women have children, they often statistically tend to get stuck in middle leadership, don't progress, and then you have a massive gender pay gap at the mm. top because there is full of people mm -hmm. who are not um, who are not women. But there's interesting research. I can't remember by whom, unfortunately. I might look it up and add it to the notes for this epi episode. But the research is around that when you 
work in an organization that supports flexible working, you're much more likely to progress, surprise, surprise, and mm -hmm. also much more likely to be happy. Course, yeah. So you really, it's a good thing to make a choice where you work. Yeah. And it's okay to leave. But sure. don't leave without trying it. Another thing which I hear quite a lot, and I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it's, um, it's genuine. I hear quite often from managers who say, I had no idea she felt that way. Right. So you, I think you've really hit on something there. And this I would definitely speak to my experience of working in HR. And I've done this myself, right? So I've left jobs where it's just been easier to say, I want to spend more time with my family, you know, like a crap politician leaving to spend more time with their family. <laughs> because by the time you've made the decision to leave, you're so exhausted with the whole thing. Because if you do have a good network, you know, you will have chewed it over with all of them for at least 100 years before you make a decision. Um, that you just can't face going into it and you have such low confidence that your contribution, your saying why you're leaving is going to make a difference. So I've left toxic male environments, for example, an environment where I was sitting with a very senior director who started taking photos of me on his phone while we were meeting. You know, that was cool. And that was a contributing factor, funnily enough, to my thinking, I've had enough of working here. But did I raise that in an exit interview when I was leaving? No, I just said I was leaving to spend more time with my family. And and I, I guess um, if you're leaving anyway, maybe the best thing that you can do to help progress this is be really honest about your reasons why. And, you know, I hold myself to account on that because I, I've never done it. Um, and I And I should have done. Mm, that's really wise advice but also even if things aren't so that sounds really bad but mm. even if things aren't so bad that you want to leave but they're just bad enough to make yeah. you feel bad yeah it's still worth sharing that because i or yeah, even just sure. simple example like sometimes sure. you have managers who want to be supportive and then they say oh right let's not give her any evening work because i'm sure she wants to spend the evening with her baby lovely intention but they didn't consider that that makes makes that person lose out uh -huh. of really amazing events and that person is really feeling bad because of that so saying that and challenging assumptions is really important and the other thing that i think is crucial is yeah. to be to, to try to bring all the implicit norms mm. like you say out to the explicit because mm. yeah. quite often it's fine when you don't have children or other commitments to work crazy hours and yeah. it's a norm that even though it says in the contract to leave at 5 30 everyone leaves at seven o'clock yeah but actually having a child can be a fantastic opportunity to have an honest discussion mm. what are our implicit norms here yeah. and which ones do we want to keep and which ones do we actually yeah. need to change and challenge yeah i think that's right and i i completely agree about really speaking to your online manager about where you are and how you're feeling i think a lot thing that holds a lot of people back from doing that and certainly the thing that's held me back from doing that you know probably when I was younger and the kids were younger was that I just f did not feel on certain ground you know I, your emotions are you're tired your emotions are everywhere your kind of boundaries and what you think is acceptable and what you think is okay you're you're trying to reset them all anyway aren't you because you've become a mother you've become the mother of your partner's children as well so that everything is in flux and so you, I think to push back or to assert yourself even if it's in a gentle way just this is how I'm feeling is really tough when you're on shifting sa whatever the expression is shifting mm -hmm. sands on shaky ground and certainly I find that in the mentoring conversations that I have with with women who are at that stage that th there is that sort of sense of questioning yourself and where I do feel positive about this so here's something positive to say is I don't think that that interrogation of yourself is ever a bad thing because I don't believe I've ever met somebody who became a parent and didn't become a more interesting person as a result so there <laughs> and maybe because it does make you more reflective and you have to be more self-aware to be a parent because you can't hide from your kids you know you can't pretend to be a certain kind of person you know and show up differently as, as a parent on different days you know you you know you just are entirely yourself and you're in this completely absorbing and sort of sometimes overwhelming situation where and you want to do well at it you know so you you do reflect and think what could I have done differently and that's a great muscle to have and frustrates the hell out of me that a lot of employers can't see the strength of that 
more developed person and what they bring to work because very true what is it that kept you going you you worked for a very yeah. long time in very Quite intensely yeah, inten yeah. intense organizations you brought up young yeah. children in london at the same time yeah what was the hunger that you kept at it probably partly fear of what would happen if i didn't because so much of my identity before i had kids was constructed around you know being successful in a job it really mattered to me partly I think I genuinely believed and I think I still believe that it was the right thing to do for my children why I think because it felt important to me that they saw a mum and a dad because you know that's the couple that we are equally contributing and equally responsible for their upbringing their well-being the finances of the household all that kind of stuff That was the example that was set to me, and I think, I think it's an important one. And also, you know, on the it's funny how few conversations about gender and diversity and parenting and work just talk about the harsh realities of of money. You know, I, I kind of had that typical mindset of I wanted my kids to have a a good life, and I. I think as I've got older, I've got more of an understanding of what that is. And I realize how little it is actually to do with money. But I think as I was entering parenting, I, you know, living in London, blah, 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 it feels like something that requires a lot of cash. And so I think probably there was a bit of that as well that drove me forward that I was doing it for my kids in a very, almost in a kind of material way, but also in a more, yeah, being the person that I thought it was important them to see adult women being, if that makes sense. So all of those things probably drove me. And also interest, you know, I love my work. You know, I will never get bored talking about organizations and how they work and how work gets done and how they're organized and how they treat their people. I can't imagine ever being bored of that conversation. But are any moments of combining a senior leadership career with young children you absolutely loved I had an amazing boss um for a while who was a woman who her children were probably maybe seven and nine just after I'd got married so you know I hadn't yet had children but then she was my boss through my first pregnancy and returned to work and I loved growing into a leader under her don't know her guidance her role modeling she used to talk about her children in the most hilarious way I've never met anyone who is more honest about the day-to-day -day just joy and utter pain of being a leader at work so she, she you know I, I mean that, that was just amazing and I suppose what I enjoy now is if I can be a tiny bit of what she was to me to other women and, and men um, who are parents at work then You know, that makes me feel good. And, you know, something sticks in my mind. I took my daughter when she was probably only about three to a Christmas party in, in the office. And, you know, it was a great big tower block and, you know, sort of right in the middle of the city. And she was all kind of starry eyed and just thought, you know, this is sort of this is the business. This is what a big boss lady does. And I found that quite. Um, she's 13 now. She's a little bit more critical. <laughs> But I found that quite heartening in a way that, I mean, I don't know if firms do that kind of stuff now. I think it's much less of a thing, but it meant a lot to me that she could kind of see that environment. But, you know, they had someone dressed up as Father Christmas and all of that. And it, it kind of joined up what I think to her was a very alien concept in a way of mums going to work with something that mattered a hell of a lot to her, Christmas. Um, you know, and they found the little sweet spot in the middle. And yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that actually. I think taking your children to work or, well, you know, I'm an advocate of taking babies to I work know. in any shape or form. I know. And can I just say on that, this is another thing, right? So how come every WeWork you go to now or every shared office space is quite fine to bring your dogs into work? I've come into your sessions, Verena, so I know what amazing conversations people can have with babies in the room. This is what we need. Hmm. It does change the dynamic. And also, I think it's important to say that it's okay to just be yourself and right. you have an element of a you yeah. are a parent 
yeah. you have a baby yeah. uh, and at the same time you're making really strategic yeah. decisions and that is and totally all of that's fine true whether your baby's in the room or not but what what blew me away when i came to one of your sessions were there were babies sitting on knees chomping on their rice cakes there were babies crawling around the floors people were picking up each other's babies and it was an entirely friendly and comfortable environment but the conversations were of the same quality if not higher than some of the best conversations in a work environment mm. so what does that tell you this goes back to this point about norms and how we organize work you know if it had been the norm that women did office work from the beginning that's the way office work would be right mm -hmm. but but we don't consider it and i find that nuts mm. so let's talk about change then if so you you know all about organizational change it was in your job I know title all about it it was in your job title everything <laughs> it was on your job title so you know 12000 books on the subject um, but i'm sure there's no 100% tested answer but i'm asking the question anyways when so let's say someone uh, has young children has lots of work to do tries to progress their own careers while keeping their children alive and happy mm -hmm. uh, but they're also quite passionate about driving positive change mm -hmm. within the workplace mm -hmm. any advice mm. any practical steps they can take to drive change i would say i don't know if this counts as practical um find the kind of the center of energy for change because in organizations change isn't linear it's not like you know, some people talk a dreadful language around it. You know, we're going to come up with a plan and then we're going to roll it out. You know, all this stuff as though there was this kind of uniform adoption of change and that's complete nonsense. But so so there will always be energy. There will be sort of centers of energy of change, you know, teams or individuals where cool stuff is happening. So, you know, find that or be it, you know, try and understand the boundaries or the tolerance of the organization and kind of push as close to that as you can try and find the opportunity to participate in projects that feel as though they're interesting innovative radical and um, try and get to know leaders if there are any in the organization who seem to be talking in a new language or talking a different game or whatever because that will be fun to explore and if you want to kind of lead that change yourself find allies you know find people who get it who can see what you can see and who want to push for it and never underestimate the power of really interesting open conversations because it is people and relationships that change the world it's not processes and gantt charts um i think we haven't really talked about anything that i want I was going to talk to you about, but Sorry. no, that's great. That's, that's great. But we actually, I feel like I've talked about really, like it was, it, it was really interesting. Let me just check if there was anything. Um, we might edit this out. We might not, but um, I mean, not that, but just my rambling just there. Um, <laughs> I think the rambling so, makes it authentic. So and it was only a micro ramble. <laughs> so working flexibly in a yeah. senior role, which yeah. you did. Yeah. Any advice on that? Don't let yourself get paid less for it. <laughs> okay, and how? By pushing and making the point that your contribution is the same as anyone else's. I think there's a different, I think there are different kinds of jobs, right? There's the kind of job that there aren't a lot of that are very interesting, but there are a lot of, which is when you're required to participate at a certain point in a process, you know, so you are um, doing something in a core function where the work is fairly repetitive and similar, in which case the chances are you can carve that up into 70% of the job or 50% of the job because it lends itself to being broken up in that way and it lends itself to job share or to part-time people doing the same thing or, or whatever and to easy handovers. But I think once you get into really senior jobs, job isn't really about affecting a process. It's about being in conversations. It's about creating ideas it's about getting alignment to ideas it's about relationships with external people as well as internal people promoting what it is the organization's trying to do it might be a core process that underpins it you know year end in fits finance or the pay review if it's hr but a lot of it's project-based and a lot of it is not predictable and um, uniform and therefore that makes it a lot harder to turn it into a 90 percent or a 70 percent or a 50 percent 
And in a certain sense, you're always doing the job because the chances are there'll be a track in your brain, like this, the children track and the what are we going to have for dinner track and the where are we going on holiday next summer track. There's the work track. And if you're always on the work track, you know, and you dip in and out of it. So sometimes on Saturday you're out for a run and you're thinking about work. Why should you get paid less? So, yeah, I would say even if you're doing a four day week, try and push for full pay. And any practical advice from someone who has sat across the table on pay negotiations? Be confident. Treat it as though it's a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you? So, so don't go in there kind of too humble and too kind of as though it's a very complex case to make, you know. I think the worst kind of business case for these sorts of things are three pages long and lots of detail because really it's the bigger picture. It's, I see my contribution this way and my contribution should be rewarded fairly. Thank you very much. I would say that's the summary of the business case. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> Can anybody who is implementing that please send us uh, the, the increase of the, the salary that you got and we'll tally it up and see uh, see what Because we feel to. the need, don't we, to, to, to justify and sometimes we all know what it's like to be in a negotiation. Sometimes the more justification, the more evidence that's put... It never convinced someone on one side or the other of Brexit, did it? Exactly. The evidence. <laughs> Just to make this topical. <laughs> and actually, I read some research that you should keep any explanations to maximum three points exactly. for, for it to be convincing. Exactly. But in your experience, what really gets people promoted? I think it depends on the type of organisation. So if it's an organisation with a very clear kind of structure you know and it's very into its processes it's about looking at the next level up in the competency framework and studying it and making your case for why you're performing that way and all the rest of it it's probably as much again about the relationships and the conversations that you're having you know never be that person who sits there and thinks why is nobody recognizing my brilliance Those who don't ask, don't get. I know that's really awful, but I think that's pretty true in organization life. And then the other kind is, I suppose, in the more kind of fluid organizations, often ones that are growing quite fast and changing quite fast, where all the time roles are appearing that weren't really there before. And I think the trap, particularly for women who are perhaps back from a first maternity or going on a second maternity, and there's a lot of change going on, is when they come back, their role might be quite different because different things will be emphasized. You know, this has become important, that's less important. Could you take on this project? And, you know, don't let yourself get just caught up in the soup of that and just do it without stepping back and saying, oh, actually my accountability's changed and my contribution's changed. And it might not be a promotion as such in the sense that there's a strict hierarchy that's written down on a piece of paper of what these jobs look like because the organization is too fluid for that but when you step back and look at it you go actually this is a bigger job than I did before I'm accountable for more I'm contributing more you know maybe the budget's bigger or the, the dimensions of the project are bigger in which case you know write it down get it down on a piece of paper and take it to your line manager and say look this is worth more in the market mm. um, and I want a pay rise mm. And it never hurts asking for a change in the job title as well. So yeah, right. as asking to be called a director right. rather than a, you know, the, the level underneath, it just makes it yeah. easier for you to get the next job. So totally. Uh, yeah. And 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 I I think if you're if you've got half an eye on leaving, and you can do something to increase a your salary, and or b your job title, do it because then it's on your CV and and. That only helps. And also it will boost your confidence. Mm. You got promoted mm -hmm. while you had young children, mm -hmm. didn't you? I did, yeah. Would you do it again? Yes. Why? Because I'm not very reflective. No, um, <laughs> no. Um, because I believe really firmly, um, I have friends actually, this is why, who when they had children, they thought that the easier life was one with less accountability I want to stick in this job because nothing too much is asked of me and I kind of know my way around it and that's kind of holding something steady while I've got all this other change going on. And I think I've always felt sort of instinctively rather than anything else that it's actually less stressful to be more senior because in a way the definition of stress is 
loads of stuff going on that's beyond your control that you don't necessarily like. So the more senior you are, the more autonomy you have, the more you're able to frame the work, the way the work is done. So for me, it would be the definition of stress to be in a situation where I've got discretion. What it goes down to, Verena, is I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) So I'm not very good at being bossed. I'm not even sure I'm a very good boss, but but the the point is that I, I would rather have been senior because to me, I put being senior and put autonomy side by side. And I think, you know, autonomy when you've got kids is really, really valuable. And But your job, obviously, as a senior woman is to try and make sure that that spirit lives in your team. Because if you've got autonomy and your team has got, oh, no, I can't go to the nursery today to pick up my child because the rules say not. I mean, that's outrageous. Mm. And actually, that's a good thing about being a parent or having extra responsibilities outside of work. If you're a dad or a mum who are responsible for picking up kids who can't, you can't suddenly put in an all-nighter, although you might be putting in an all-nighter because your baby is crying, but that's a different story. Because of that, you are going to have to be better at delegating and therefore your team is going to have more autonomy, which can only be a good thing. Yeah. And the other point I wanted to make is you as someone who leads a actually you know this happens to me now more and more. I can't actually remember the sentence I started. Since but in my defence I was up at four o'clock say, this morning. It's a sure sign of being tired. I remember you used to do that in meetings where I'd go, right, so to summarise and then my mind would go completely blank. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just look to left and right and think, is someone else gonna summarise? Exactly. I thought it was a very good uh, point, but I forgot it now. Maybe it was practical tips because I do have one practical okay, tip go on. in amongst all of my um, not very practical advice. I have some practical advice. I think one of the best things my husband and I did, and this was only after something had gone horribly wrong. So my poor little son, when he was five, ended up in A&E with a really bad cut on his head. He'd actually fallen on his head in the playground at school. And we were both away traveling. And that just felt dreadful, as you can imagine. He was in Switzerland. I can't even remember where I was. I think I was flying back from Poland. And after that, we said never again. And we made two sets of rules, golden rules and silver rules. So the golden rules were rules that under no circumstances whatsoever would we break. So, for example, one of us would always be in London. So we would never travel at the same time. I think that was about the only one, actually. And then we had silver rules, which were rules that we tried to hold on to, but we wouldn't beat ourselves up if we broke. And I just found that so comforting because it was like we'd made a little deal between us about what really mattered and that sometimes we were going to not be absolutely the best, but we were going to have agreed that that was a circumstance in which that would be okay. So yeah, golden rules and silver rules. Mm. We never got to bronze. I love that. And that's a good thing because you kept it simple, right? Right, You didn't go to the bronze because we can make our life complicated and we just need to keep it simple. Exactly. Exactly. I want to end with hearing about the advice you got and the role mm. models you've learned from what mm. what was the best advice you've ever been given about working with children or life in general about working with children i'm not sure it was advice it was more role modeling which was from this boss um that i had who i spoke about before which was she had an enormous humor about So she didn't shy away from talking about her kids at work. And she didn't do that horrible thing about being flippant about them. You know, some people do where they're kind of almost mean about their kids to kind of show that, I don't know, to show they're cool or something. But she did have tremendous humor in how she talked about the situations that she found herself in. So I I felt that in a very unthreatening way, she was waking people up to the realities of her life. And I just thought that was cool. And I suppose in some ways I've I've tried to to follow that. So I talk proudly about my children. I love my children. And I'm not afraid to bring conversations about how they're affecting my ability to do my work into my working life. But I try and do it with humour. Because that, you know, is usually a good approach. Thank you very much, Laura. That was a really interesting conversation. And I know I'm sure we'll continue having it in, in lots of different f- formats and spaces. Thank you, Verena. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I've had with Laura as much as I did. I have been so pleased and absolutely chuffed with the response to the first podcast series. The number of listeners was about three times as many as we expected, which is fantastic. But I'd love to double listener numbers for the second series in order to reach more of you who can benefit from this content. Can I just say a big thank you to everyone who has been sharing it with their friends on social media or by word of mouth. It makes such a difference. And if you do want to support my work today, please do send a message to five friends via WhatsApp or um, good old face-to-face word um, to tell them about this podcast and that, um, you know, let them know that they might enjoy this content. Obviously, if you have any suggestions or questions for the next episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch via Twitter or Instagram on at Legis underscore plus or alternatively email me on Verena, V-E-R-E-N-A at leadersplus.org.uk. If you do have a friend who is on maternity or shared parental leave, or if you have a child under three, you'd be very welcome to join us as one of the fellows. Applications are open now and close on the 13th of February. If you head to www.leadersplus.org.uk, you can download the application packs, which tells you exactly what it is all about. Uh, In a nutshell, you'll get a senior leader mentor. You'll be able to be part of a cross-organizational peer support network and also get evidence-informed support to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. If you have a baby, you're welcome to bring him or her along to all our events and sessions. Yeah, I mentioned at the beginning, Laura generously offered a free mentoring sessions with one of our listeners. So the next 10 people to download the application pack have a chance to enter a draw uh, to have that free mentoring session via Skype. If you do want to do that, then obviously download the application pack from the website, but also email me at ferina at leadersplus.org.uk to say that you'd love to have a mentoring session with Laura. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I really love receiving all your messages about how these conversations are making a difference to you. And if you have any reflections or suggestions, do get in touch. Until next time, have a wonderful week.